is Brian Bailey, Chief Marketing and Experience Officer with Metro Inclusive Health. You're listening to Inclusivity and Beyond, subjects that impact the health and wellness of our community. Thank you for joining us on this crazy and wild conversation, this wild ride. Uh, we have a lot of things to talk about this evening with everyone being isolated from their homes, either alone or with family and friends. Uh, the topic of today's episode, which you may already know from our posts, is about poly life. So we're talking all about poly or polyamory. Um, so I want to do some intros. So I want everybody to go around to uh, name your title, your pronouns and then hand the baton off to someone. So again, my name is Tommy Wright. My title is um, Prevention and Sexual Health Educator. My pronouns, you can use he, him, and his, but I'm also you know, very comfortable with she, her, hers, they, them, theirs. Um, and yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and pass the baton over to Sorella. Hey, I'm Sorella. I am the Creative and Marketing Manager at Metro, and I use she, her, and they, them. Hey everyone, my name is Kiana and I am an outreach and linkage navigator with Metro and I use she, her pronouns. Awesome. So I want to go ahead and let's just get into it. I'm going to go ahead and start with some just kind of like definitions. So we're talking about polyamory today. In general, like what is polyamory? What are we talking about here? A lot of people have different conceptions or ideas about what polyamory is, um, and I just kind of want to start off with some general definitions, and then we can go from there, see how you guys think about it, what, what your thoughts are. So I have a couple different things that kind of fit into similar, you know, definitions, and then a broader uh, kind of like place where we start at. So polyamory is basically a type of consensual non-monogamy. There's many different types of consensual non-monogamy, being with more than one person, um, and both for all partners agreeing to it, being okay with it, um, being part of it, and um, you know, really being interested in all those things. Um, there's different ideas I feel like people think about when they talk about polyamory. Um, sometimes people might think about threesomes or orgies, uh, which you know is not often the case. Maybe, may not. So threesomes are you know just a specific encounter, whereas you know non-monogamy is more related to relationships or partnerships, I guess. There's open relationships, which is also in a similar vein. Some poly relationships are open. Some may not necessarily be open. Other relationships that are just two people might be open and they may not consider themselves poly. So that's when people in a relationship are okay with, to some degree, having sex or, you know, flirting or something else outside of the relationship. We've got swinging is I guess some type it's related to this. Um, so swinging is when there's couples that are interested in, you know, having sex with other couples. And then there's polyamory, which if you split it up, poly means like many or multiple. Amory relates to love. So polyamory is multiple loves. That's my general, you know, definition starting us off. Um, so I guess I do actually have a question for everybody. Um, so why, why might the, knowing this terminology be helpful? Um, and what are your, you know, starting thoughts about those, those things? I can speak to this first. I actually practice polyamory or non-monogamy or not exactly sure or what language I use to define it right now. Um, but to me, I mean, being familiar with the terminology, 
just means that you have more resources available to you so that you can describe your own relationships and your own behavior and the things that you're interested in to the people who you might be involved with. So just getting acquainted with what's out there. It's kind of like growing up, like if you weren't aware of what being queer was like, and then you come into contact with that and you just have more language to describe something that you're interested in or something that you experience for yourself. I think of it in kind of a similar way. Yeah, I definitely think it's a great way to get people to feel like, you know, if that's something that they are interested in being a part of, that like it's normal, healthy and fine and that there's not necessarily one way to do relationships. So I think being introduced to that terminology will definitely allow people to see that for sure. Yeah. And Sorella, speaking of resources, uh, I, th- I thought it's funny that you use that word because it's like not only do you have resources in terms of terminology to explain these things, but got more than one person around and mm-hmm. got yeah. emotional resources, mm-hmm. <laughs> resources, and everybody's okay with it. So it's good. <laughs> to, to varying degrees, you know, every relationship is different. Every poly agreement is a little bit different. Um, terminology in my mind I feel like terminology helps um, enable all parties involved to have you know a a discussion about it and be able to understand what they're talking about be concise be clear Um, so that's kind of why I wanted to start with just the terminology so yeah I feel like another couple important terms that might be helpful as well um, that I've like come across more or less recently. One of them is the language to describe like a partner's partner. So if you're in a polyamorous okay. dynamic, but you're not involved with someone that your partner is involved with, you would call mm-hmm. that your metamorph. And so that can be helpful so that you don't have to say my partner's 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 partner like over and over and over again. And then another kind of term that I've been interested in and attracted to recently is called relationship anarchy. Uh, which sounds pretty edgy, um, a little dramatic. (laughs) The idea behind it, which has really helped me frame my own experience, is that you're looking at relationships um, less in terms of, you know, what label you put on the relationship, but more in terms of the behaviors that you might engage in with Mm. someone when you're in a different kind of relationship. And that includes the spectrum of relationships that you have in your life from friendship to long-term partnership so you know you might engage in activities with a friend that people would think of as typically something that you would do like if your partner partnered be that sex or something like child raising or something it's basically breaking it down to pick and choose what you're comfortable doing with individuals rather than all of the things that are included by definition in partnership if that makes sense Okay, so how I'm, how I'm understanding what you just said. Mm-hmm. So relationship anarchy is a way to talk about how each relationship, you know, you have to make your own rules. You don't have to, you know, stand by these things that have been, you know, used forever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So is it yeah. like safe to say that there's something that's like more connection-based? Like you're not saying, oh, you're my boyfriend or you're my girlfriend, so we're going to do this, that, and the third. Um, maybe you might go on coffee dates with one person or like have sex with another person? Is it kind of like just what feels right for each of those people or? Yeah, it's exactly that. It's um, defining your relationships by like the bandwidth and the common activities that y'all both Mm -hmm. have and enjoy together rather than saying you're my partner. So you have to like check off all these boxes for me Mm -hmm. Um, or like you're just my friend. So you can't do this thing with me. And I think that relates a lot to 
one of the most important things, um, you know, communication. If you ever ask someone um, who's in a poly relationship or if you ever ask someone who is polyamorous, I guess, mm -hmm. like what's the most important thing that I should know? Uh, communication is usually the first thing that people say. Mm -hmm. And that can be hard. So question, especially for those of us who aren't as familiar with polyamory, mm -hmm. um, could an example of a polyamorous relationship look like feeling like you have romantic, open romantic feelings towards more than one person, but maybe you're only having sex with one of them? Yeah, there's no reason why it couldn't be like that. Um, I guess the whole idea behind polyamory is breaking down what you expect a relationship to look like. Every relationship is going to look a little bit different. Every relationship is going to call what they have a little bit different too. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that could be the way that they arrange mm -hmm. themselves, I guess. I think one of one of the interesting things that it is like metamorph, you were talking about that before. I think one of the interesting things that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around is one person being involved with multiple people, but those people not mm -hmm. necessarily being involved with each other. I've been looking up a bunch of videos just to, you know, catch up on things. And there was one video um, where there's a couple, um, a man, woman, and another woman, and um, two of them are married. And then a third person came on uh, later in the relationship after they'd been married for a little while and they joined. They had to go through, you know, a whole coming out process after they were married with their family. They had to go through all these different things um, with this, this new person. They had a child already. Um, so that was an interesting thing. Um, and the uh, third person does not have a relationship with one of the, one of the people in, in the marriage. Interesting. So basically, it's going to vary case by case. It's all dependent on everyone's comfort level. Um, one of the things, I guess, that a lot of people might not know about, I think that could be useful in, um, like, when you're starting out, if you're going to begin a poly relationship or if you are interested in it um, or if you are in a relationship and you want to open things up, both of you in the couple, it's important to kind of create, like, a, an agreement, not, not necessarily something that you have physically written down, but it's important to try and figure out what those rules are, I guess. It might kind of be harsh saying rules, but... It's really useful in navigating the fights that you are going to have because, you know, there, there are challenges in any relationship. Um, and when you add more people to that, they're, you know, you're going to add more challenges too. So any, well, I, any things come to mind when I say like couples agreement or what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I mean, I cut you off there. I was just going to say, so like, okay, boyfriend, you can have sex with her, but you're not eating her out that's for me could, could it be something like that yeah it could be if that like works for the couple um I think that like in conversations with people one thing that's like come up a lot regarding like how you set boundaries within like an existing relationship if you open it up or like if you start deciding to practice um polyamory or ethical non-monogamy um is that there's kind of a difference between rules and then agreements and boundaries and so like a rule would be something like Tommy said it can sound kind of harsh but it's kind of something that you set that is a restriction on someone else's behavior and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing that sounds pretty negative I think when you first encounter it but um it can be valuable for some people if there's things that are non-negotiable in terms mm -hmm. of safety 
And then an agreement is something that both people bring up together and have a conversation or multiple people bring up together and have a conversation about that they all agree upon. Um, and then they maybe set okay. procedures like if this situation comes up, this is what we agree to do. You know, okay. we might agree to just have a conversation or we might agree on a simple like course of action. Like if to so go back to your example, if your partner was like having sex with someone, but you didn't want them to like eat someone else out, you guys could agree upon that. And then your partner could talk about that with the person that they're with and see if like that's okay with them and then have that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, it could work. And then a boundary is something that you set for yourself. Like if this happens, then I will do this. And an important thing about boundaries is that it's something that you kind of like decide for yourself and then you figure out a course of action to take if something comes up and then follow through with it because that kind of, that part is about self-respect and to be, I guess, like less abstract about it. Let's say you're thinking about transmission of different things that could come up during sex and a boundary for you is that if my partner decides to not use a condom with someone, then they have to use a condom with me. And so that's more of your own boundaries rather than saying they can't choose to not use a condom with someone else. Mm -hmm. So there's three ways of looking at things like interpersonal dynamics. So, so rules are things that your partner has. Agreements are things that you talk about. And then boundaries are things that you have. Yeah, like rules are something that you apply to someone else. Okay. Agreement is something that you come up with together. Mm -hmm. And a boundary is something that you set for yourself. Okay. I have a question on that. So would it be safe? I definitely see how they're all interconnected. Would it be safe to say then that you almost like can't completely separate them? Like in order to achieve successful role setting, wouldn't you need some sort of agreement on the other person's behalf? And then that kind of ties into respecting a boundary that would be a result of that rule. I think so. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of bleeding between those things. Um, they are all in interconnected, like you said. I just think that when people hear rule, it might bring up a bit more of a negative response. Like if you're having a conversation with someone that you're involved with and you say, no, this is like a rule that I'm applying to you versus framing mm -hmm. it as, can we agree on this together? Or this is something that I do for myself. And so you can think about that when you choose to do something. Okay. So is it like a difference in the, the undertone of it? Like maybe a word with a neutral tone that's kind of synonymous with what would be maybe like expectation or standard? I think that's how it's been for me. Yeah, I think, so you were asking specifically about, you know, sexual, um, I guess that would be like a rule um, that you were talking about before. But um, there's a lot of different things that are important to think about too. So um, it could be sexual. Um, things that are important could be, an important discussion could be about how flirting happens um, outside of the relationship. An mm. important discussion could be about um, how you talk about your relationship with other people. Mm. An important discussion about, you know, agreements, rules, or boundaries could be about um, how you protect yourself. So condom use or uh, prep use, um, shameless plug. We have prep at, at Metro too. So come and come and join us for that. <laughs> um, what else? Can we talk about that a little bit? Like, I want to hear some personal experiences. Like, what do you guys think constitutes, like, flirting? Flirting? In a relationship. Yeah, like, what would you find not appropriate? And where do we draw, where do we draw the line? Is it, is it touch? Is it smiling and engaging a little bit too much in conversation, happily? Or what does that look like? <laughs> Every, everybody's different, so it's all going to be different. Um, I did, so I tried to look up some different, like, rules 
or not rules, uh, like a set of, you know, standard uh, things that people will kind of like want to think about. Um, and I tried to figure out um, where I would be on certain different things. So it, it it's always going to be different depending on the person, depending on each individual relationship too. Uh, like I consider flirting to be, you know, okay, I think that's, that's sexy. That's fun. So if you want to go and flirt with someone else, be my guest. That sounds real fun. Um, but, you know, other people might not. They might draw a line flirting. Um, and it might matter if you know those people. Like, you know, you can't, you can't flirt with people that I know. You can't flirt with coworkers. You can't flirt with um, exes or something like that. Um, but you can, you can definitely flirt with, you know, random strangers or um, some couples. Some people might be on the opposite spectrum, whereas, like, I'd much rather you flirt with and fool around with people that I know and I'm comfortable with because, you know, if it's some random stranger, I, I don't know them as well. I don't trust them as well. Um, so it's always going to be different. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, there definitely is a lot of gray area in those terms, you know, like not only flirting, but like what counts in making out, you know, is that closer to like heavy petting or is it just like kissing? That's definitely something to talk about with the people that you're involved with and to think about like what you're comfortable with and what they're comfortable with. Yeah, because like, I know me personally, I don't know, I... Some people see this as flirting. Some people don't see this as flirting. But, like, for example, I kind of <laughs> feel like if you're engaging in playful banter with somebody, mm-hmm. um, well, that's one of the ways I've been guilty of flirting with people <laughs> uh, without even realizing it. Sometimes I just like conversation. But if you catch yourself, it can definitely be an intentional way to try to draw someone, especially if you're the type of person that needs a little bit more mental stimulation to feel like romantically drawn in so I guess that just looks it depends on what that looks like for you mm-hmm. um but I know for me that's a big thing so I'm like I know like for instance when I've been in relationships and I catch my partner talking to somebody a certain way I'm like maybe you didn't directly say oh are you gonna come home with me or go on a date or something like that but it's like if you were being a little bit slick and you were getting her to to blush and bat her eyelashes Ooh. then that's where it is <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty like there's always different ways that you can kind of try and uh i guess identify you know what what each thing is but it's always hard and sometimes it's gonna take guess and check i guess Um, yeah and i guess that's where that boundary setting comes in right figuring out what that looks like for you on top of like boundary setting that you do like with your partner it's probably also or i guess an agreement that you come up with um with your partner it's also good to think about, you know, the way that you feel about things and do some kind of like internal reflection about how you perceive stuff. Um, Cause I know for me, when I first started getting involved in polyamory, jealousy is a big thing that a lot of people who are polyamorous deal with. I think sometimes people think that if you're polyamorous, it means that you don't experience jealousy and that you always experience mm-hmm. um, compersion, which is a term for like joy at seeing your partner feeling joy but it's not always like that you know it can be really difficult to see your partner flirt with someone else um whether or not you're poly and it can be really difficult to see them like kiss someone else or think about them having sex with someone else or watching them do it whatever you want to (laughs) do it can be tough you know because there's so much of I guess monogamous culture 
that impresses itself upon our understanding of what a relationship should be and like what your partner's behavior should look like. So I think for me, a good thing to do was thinking about not only like things that I would like to do and how they didn't affect the way that I view my partner. Like if I make out with someone else, it does not change how much I love my partner at all. And so when I see them do it, that doesn't mean that they love me any less, you know? There's a lot that you can do on the back end to kind of think about like where your jealousy is coming from. Like, is it rooted in fear that maybe they don't feel the same about you? Or is it just rooted in feeling like, oh, this isn't something that's like culturally acceptable? Or maybe it's just not for you. And that's just, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing to realize about yourself and about your dynamic moving forward. And it's not a negative thing at all. One uh, good thing to do would be to try and figure out how you experience jealousy. So like, wh- what is it like? What does it look like for you to experience jealousy? Um, and most like, sometimes people will say like, Oh, I, I'm, I don't get jealous, but it's, it's a hard thing to know. Um, maybe until you really feel it. Um, but it could be, it's a good exercise to do. Um, so I, I, got this book called the the ethical slut i don't know if you know what it is i really love it um it comes with a bunch of different like activities in here all the things that are tagged in here are different um, exercises that you can do um to try and see what triggers you it's it's more i I would say there's probably some in there for that but it's more about um like there was one exercise about jealousy so just like sit down take some time write out what does it mean what does it feel like for you to feel jealousy try to think of a time that Mm -hmm. you were jealous and see like uh what emotions were you feeling what were what the thoughts you were having um and like the physical sensations I get really sweaty I feel like I'm gonna throw up (laughs) it takes a lot of centering and like chilling out yeah so I I did really like that book I would recommend it to everyone again it's the the ethical slut Mm -hmm. um but um it takes a, a really you know specific uh kind of idea when they name it that does it talk about oh, i know one question i have um in regards to polyamory especially considering i've never been in a polyamorous relationship um would be the validation that you can sometimes feel when pleasing your partner and not wanting other people to be able to contribute to that whether it's a good thing or a bad thing um so, for example, um, you know, if you're, you know, you're with your person and you really enjoy giving them head and you really like the way it makes them feel and uh, you get pleasure out As of one does, you know. All right. Like, it, it might be perfectly normal for somebody that um, is not in a polyamorous to be like, well, I don't want, I don't want other people to be doing that to them. Like, well, like, that's, that's my thing. Like, I do that for them, you know. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on on that type of thing? Okay, so you you did mention something that was another exercise that I thought was interesting in the book, but it might not be related to that, but I will just, like, point it out because it it was cool. Um, It was talking about, like, what are things that your partner can do that makes you feel validated? Um, What are things that you can do for your partner to make them feel validated? What are things that you can do for each other? Um, I don't Validated might not have been the right word, um, but there was... (laughs) an exercise in there that's like write 10 things that you can do. Um, and they kind of, uh, put it in a place where, uh, a part of the chapter where they were talking about, you know, if you ever were to break a rule or an agreement that you have, how do you, how do you, um, 
how do you talk about that? How do you work it out? Um, and that can be something that's really important, figuring out how you work out conflict. They talk a lot about conflict in the book too. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if that necessarily helps with what you're talking about. I, I guess it's like uh, not wanting someone else to please your partner in, in a in a way that you feel yeah. is it's like a power dynamic I think <laughs> do you guys think that like I would, would you guys think it might be safe to say that maybe the power dynamics are a little bit more balanced in polyamory or what's kind of your take on that it is weird to think about one thing um like if there is a polyamorous relationship where let's say two people are married and then other people mm-hmm. are not in that marriage that can lead mm-hmm. to power dynamics certainly um if Two people have been together for longer. I'm sure that that can lead to some power dynamics. A lot of people sometimes tend to use the language of like primary partnership versus secondary partnership to imply like that one partnership is either more longstanding or I guess more enmeshed. Like maybe you guys are living together. Maybe you're married, like Tommy said. Um, Maybe you have like financial ties to one another um, versus like a secondary relationship that uh, might not involve all of those like long-term components. And so that's like one way to take kind of like a hierarchical approach to non-monogamy. And that might work for some people. Um, I'm not sure if that quite addresses what you're saying though. I feel like there, I have a lot more thoughts on that area specifically, yeah. but um, to talk about what I think you were trying to get at is like the idea that some acts or some things might be kind of like sacred to your relationship and then yeah. you want to preserve them and honor them and make sure that they feel like special for you. Um, and I think it's true that like that can be a really impactful and important feeling, like feeling like you have things with your partner that maybe like define things about your relationship or just make both of you feel really good. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that feeling necessarily. Um, I think just like when people have a relationship orientation that's more polyamorous, I think that the emphasis it may be more on people as individuals and their experiences individually and seeing your partner as someone who could experience that with someone else and that not necessarily reflecting on you. I mean, it's a tough feeling. I know when I first also got involved in polyamory, I really struggled with the idea that like you have to kind of think of your partner as someone who doesn't need you or someone whose experiences like are totally independent of yours in terms of like their, their life, you know? their own person yeah exactly and I think that like that is an important part of monogamy and that monogamous people like can understand that as well yeah while still practicing monogamy I was gonna say I feel like in a lot of monogamous relationships people tend to like possess one another if that makes sense it just it seems like with monogamy versus polyamory I feel like with monogamy it's kind of it can get to the point of like oh, I own you, so, like, you can't do anything with anybody else. You can't even look at another person. On kind of, like, the other end of the spectrum with polyamory, you can see that it might be more focused on, like, the actual, like, exchange of feelings that you have for one another and, like, that connection and not, like, I guess what you're doing physically with other people or whatever that looks like, whatever the behavior is or interaction. There's a lot of uh, monogamous relationships where people stress that like, oh, you're my, you're my other half. You're my better half. You, you complete mm-hmm. me. Um, and that is something that a lot of people that like the, the, what is it? The anarchic, um, uh, 
relationship uh, anarchy. The term that yeah, used relationship before. anarchy. Relationship anarchy. Yeah, um, where people are like fighting against that. It's like, oh, I'm I'm my own person, um, but it it might not be mm-hmm. you know 100 percent those those like opposites, but that can be a, a common thing that people think. Um, a common belief that people have when they're in a, a monogamous relationship is the idea of uh, two parts uh, equals a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, in polyamory or ethical non-monogamy, um, just because I feel like there's kind of an inherent acknowledgement that a relationship like might shift and change and evolve and that yeah. you might not be the only person in that person's life forever. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that's absent from some like monogamous relationships. I just yeah, think no. polyamory, it's explicitly acknowledged in the structure, which is why it can be really scary to get into sometimes mm-hmm. um, because you're so used to seeing this model of monogamy that says we're going to be together forever and like we're going to complete all these things for one another and with one another, mm-hmm. which can be really romantic and can and does work for some people. But um there are other ways of doing it. And I think that's the yeah. idea. This is James Keene, Director of Development at Metro Inclusive Health. You're listening to one of the many ways that support from our donors and sponsors help enable us with the ability to deliver important programming and information to our community. Help us if you can keep our programming live. You could buy this spot and share your message with our community. Do you guys have any tips for people that are considering polyamory, but are maybe a little bit afraid to confront those feelings of jealousy and hurt? I think there was, uh, uh, this kind of branches into one of the other topics that we wanted to discuss, um, which was uh, counseling. Um, so I was, I was listening to one of, one of the videos that I was like searching on just to find out some different opinions on, uh, polyamory, um, the relationship that I was talking about before their suggestion or something that they wish they had agreed upon before they had started. If you are thinking about, or if you are in a poly relationship, you know, not everybody, um, uh, needs a therapist, but it is really helpful. And, especially like it can be really difficult at times. So it's important to think about um, it. And um, that is something that we do provide. Again, another shameless plug. Um, we do have counseling at Metro. We have uh, like individual counseling, couples counseling and family counseling. But um, what I'd like to point out about the couples counseling is it's not, um, it's not based on like traditional standards. So we can have polyamorous couples is definitely something that um, we can provide therapy for that as well. Um, and then two other things that uh, we do. I, so I work in prevention and sexual health. Um, so we have a lot of different, um, we call them interventions. They are different things that we do. There are two types of interventions that I think are really important to bring up here. Um, testing together. Um, so it can be really important for a lot of couples to not only try and stay safe and um, make sure that they have agreements on how they are going to protect themselves, Um, but another thing that would be important is to, um, figure out, um, what, like if you are 
not positive, for instance, like what are your testing? Um, like if you don't have any mm -hmm. SCDs currently, like what would you like to do in terms of testing? That might be something that's important to you all um, to make sure that you are all um, staying safe. And then if anything happens, you can deal with it together. You can work, work together on things. Um, so we do provide couples testing for HIV. Um, and then another thing that we provide is called Connect, um, which is a couples intervention, um, kind of like a uh, couples like practicum, uh, I forget what the word is, I can't think of it right now, um, but another place for um, you to get together and talk about your communication styles um, and uh, connect is mostly for um, couples where at least mm. one partner is positive um, and that could be multiple or just one partner, but that could be another way that you can help uh, work on your communication skills with each other and that is another thing that we provide, yeah. Sorry, that's my plug. Um, yeah, uh, continue with whatever else you guys had in mind. I think these comments are really valuable for people who are coming into it. If um, you're interested in polyamory, but you're already part of a couple, which is true for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely counseling can be valuable to help like smooth over that communication. Just being open and honest with your partner about being interested in that and that it's not a reflection on how much you love them or how much they please you in bed or anything. I know some people can feel like kind of insecure about that. Like, oh yeah, you're polyamory, that must mean that like I'm not doing something enough for you. So there's definitely a lot of bumps that can come up if you're bringing that up to someone who's who you're involved with who's not already polyamorous. Um, mm -hmm. But they might be interested in exploring that with you. Um, or if they're not, then you can have that conversation and say, you know, this might be something that I'm interested in in the future. Um, maybe it's not something that we can do together and you'll have to decide like where your relationship progresses from there. And then I guess if you're not partnered when you're, when you're thinking about polyamory, um, one thing that would be good is talking to people who are polyamorous and hearing about their experiences. Um, because I know that no one person that I've ever talked to about polyamory has had the same experience or the same level of like interest or engagement with it. It's different for everyone because everyone has different needs. So you can kind of figure out what it might be for you by talking to other people and seeing where your experiences intersect with theirs. There's also a lot of resources online or podcasts. Um, this is like a good place to start that conversation. Uh, but some of the podcasts that I listen to that I really like, there's Polyamory Uncensored, multi-amory where I think they do like interviews with different people who are poly so it's kind of like having a conversation but if you don't know anyone who is in your network already um, and then life on the swing set is more for swingers but um, some of them kind of identify within the poly community as well so they have a lot of conversations about it um, and I find podcasts to be a really good way of hearing about that because it almost feels like having a conversation with someone it feels like pretty approachable or if you feel more comfortable reading online or reading a book like Tommy suggested, there's that too. Just kind of figuring out what it might look like and what you're interested in. There's also communities. Yeah. Um, it depends on where you are. Um, I know that in we're, we're in a you know a decent sized city. Um, like the Tampa Bay area is pretty well sized. I know that larger cities um, than ours have you know really well. Uh, established communities like L LA polyamory or something like that. Like there's, there's different, like larger cities have these big communities where people can come together and, and talk about 
their experiences. I know that there are uh, different communities in the area, um, Pinellas and, and Hillsboro areas. Um, so that can be an, a good thing to get involved in. Yeah, I don't think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people that are new to or haven't really heard much about the world of polyamory, um, I don't think they would even necessarily know that those resources were out there. Um, so it's great that you guys bring that up. And then I like what you're saying about like both sides of it. I think there is two sides to like a willingness and or apprehension to participate in polyamory because it's like, do we have time? Do we have time for some tea real quick? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Don't judge me, guys. Uh, From personal experience, um, in a prior relationship that I had, it was monogamous, uh, to my knowledge, anyway. Um, But I remember I would always be like, "Hey, babe, would you ever be willing to have a threesome?" And he's like, "You're setting me up." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And like, it's funny because you know, on the one hand, you're like, "Ah, I don't want to be with anybody else." But then on the other hand, it's like, but I wonder if seeing them do things to another person would turn me on. You know, it might end well. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> right? And then on the other hand, uh, say you're single and you've been invited to a threesome. Uh, that has happened. Um, you know, it, it could be exciting, but what if there's, like, hesitation there, right? Like, how do you kind of decide if that's something that you want to participate in being yeah. that third person. Do you, right. do you trust them? Do you really um, know them? Internal well condoms. to feel that you're comfortable. Internal condoms. Tell me you want to give us okay. a little spiel on them. Tommy's a condom expert, so. Uh, no, I'm not. But um, internal condoms, they're also called FC2 or female condoms. They're very useful. Um, can be used for anal and or vaginal. Um, uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. There was something else you were talking about that, oh, darn. About threesomes? Oh, um, previous experiences <laughs> that I've had. Um, so uh, I haven't had a lot of experiences where, I've had experiences where people were um, not open to it at all. I mean, it's always something that you can come back to. Um, it's a conversation that you have between um, partners. Uh, so it can be something that develops. I would consider myself polyamorous. Um, so if they are interested in, you know, trying to dip their toes in with an open relationship because they're comfortable with that, we have maybe one partner that we have a good relationship with and they've um, played with us a couple of times and we're like, okay, let's try it. We've talked to them, you know, maybe let's try to like rediscuss this conversation that we've had, um, readdress the, the agreements that we've made already. Um, it, it is important to come back to those over time and to adjust as you grow, as your relationship grows, as your relationships grow, um, it's important to come back to those things and know that, you know, every things are always changing. There was another thing that I thought was good to talk about, which was time, where we spend time. Um, whose turn is it? Equal time, equal play. Um, and you were talking about that a little bit before, I think, with the uh, personal experiences of like, oh, I don't want them to do this with someone else. Yeah. Um, so where you spend your time. 
time can also relate to like, mm-hmm. what do you consider sacred in your relationship? Is that, you know, is that Sunday night when you guys watch Netflix and chill together? Is that sacred to you guys? Um, that can be something that's an important conversation. Uh, like this is something that I always want us to spend time on. Um, you know, I don't care if you have like a Netflix and chill night with someone else, but um, if don't ditch me on our Sunday night, <laughs> Netflix and chill night, you know? Or you're getting cut off. No. <laughs> Distribution of time is always going to be like a very personal subject, especially when maybe someone's getting, like one of your partners is getting involved with someone new. Um, there's something that people call like new relationship energy, uh, which is like when you're first getting involved with someone, it can feel like just really exciting. You know, <laughs> Tommy's making a lot of funny faces for the people who listen to this. <laughs> um, but it might be that kind of like, honeymoon period where you can't see anything negative about the other person you just want to spend all your time with them and that can be super great and fun um but if you're partnered with someone it can also feel kind of like scary or stressful for that person because they're seeing this huge amount of energy coming in uh, to the relationship and maybe taking up a lot of the space that you guys had together so distribution of time in that instance is particularly important but also acknowledging you know the value of a relationship that might be longer um, is just as important as like the excitement of a relationship that's new and like acknowledging where your person might be in that and just knowing that they're being excited and not taking it personally, I guess. Some poly people do keep pretty detailed Google calendars and when they spend time with whom just to make sure <laughs> that their needs are being met in those relationships. You know, it might not always divide out to be equal but as long as everyone feels like you know maybe they just want to see you on that Sunday and like that's your little date night together or maybe someone else you know wants to have dinner with you every other night or someone that you live with is obviously going to spend a lot more time with you it doesn't have to be equal necessarily but I think it's good to keep in mind what you can provide for people and what you would like with people and find that sweet middle ground I wonder yeah. if there's a correlation between extroversion and polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that takes a lot of energy to keep up with all these relationships. <laughs> Communication needs to be tip-top. I don't know about extroversion because that is not me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, another thing, the one uh, polyamorous group they, they were talking about was um, having enough beds. You know, it's yeah. something you don't really think about, but especially if you're going to go in, into that beginning part, the, the new relationship energy, uh, when you want to like sleep together all, all the time, you want to have a bunch of slumber parties. Um, if you don't have space for it, it's not really going to work out. Um, they said that they had a really nice air mattress that they had. Um, and that was a regret when um, one person spent way too long on it by themselves. And then when they wanted to go back to the, the I don't know, mm-hmm. king size bed, whatever their, their normal bed was, um, the, the new couple, they just both went to the air mattress together. Um, so that was like something that you'd have to work out, obviously, with your partner. But, you know, along with time, uh, space and like, you know, physical things might be important um, where you can physically spend space slightly related but yeah also important <laughs> you have to have enough boxes of your favorite cereal so one person or so they don't eat it all <laughs> yeah i'm sure there's little things 
I wonder how polyamory like balances out finance wise, you know, because like rent might be lower if you're living with tons of people, but you know, you have to pay for a lot more food, a lot more lube, probably if that's something that <laughs> showers, water, a lot more water. Unless you all share showers, maybe you'd have to have a bigger shower though. Right. You have to get on a schedule. So I feel pretty good about this conversation. Any other things that we need to get off your chest before we, we head out today? I hate to open a can of worms, but I feel like uh, just because like the topic of threesomes came up, mm-hmm. um, oh. I feel like it's worth like bringing up this idea of the couple that seeks the unicorn on Tinder or Grindr <laughs> have you. Um. Because I know that that's like one thing that people associate with poly people too. It might have a bit of a negative reputation because I guess the ideal unicorn is like a bisexual woman who is down to have a threesome. Yeah. Great couple. And so a lot of people only encounter it as like people who are seeking a third, but like not necessarily wanting to get involved with other people and not necessarily seeing that third as like a person with like needs and agency in their own right and so I think it's really important to dispel that myth that that that's like a poly thing and that that's a way that you should treat someone in general if that's how you want to start getting involved yeah what if they're friends like what if they're asking to incorporate the sexual element but it's not like pure objectification like they're actually interested in the person-to-person connection between all three would that be something that falls under polyamory if you're showing like mutual respect and admiration for it, I still always yeah. think about like polyamory really usually relates to a relationship. Um, if you guys do have some sort of like relationship, even if it is more like friendship and you know sometimes sexual, that could could be poly. But um, if it, it is also like I guess a similar thing to like open, um, it's not necessarily a need to you know figure out uh, one or the other. Yeah, I would say that it kind of like falls under the umbrella of like ethical non-monogamy. And then that's probably a better place to start out um, if that's your first experience with that kind of thing. Um, Just because there might already be a level of respect there that you might not necessarily find with a stranger who you don't know. And I think hooking up can be like fun and respectful. But with a friend, I feel like there's already a dynamic that's established between you. You already Mm -hmm. probably care about each other. Um, so you might not necessarily just be thinking of this person as like a, oh, this is going to accentuate our sex life together, prioritizing the couple over the person who you're getting involved with. So just to clarify, especially for everybody listening, polyamory has a focus on romantic positive feelings or strong positive feelings between persons. You have like friendship, you have intimacy, mm-hmm. you have passion. What types of things do you guys think play into what would make it polyamory versus just having multiple partners? I think that depends on like how your terminology intersects with your identities because some people might be aromantic but still involved with multiple people um, or they might be asexual and still involved with more people or some combination of those things or under the umbrella of those things. Um, And so those things I think still still people might uh, claim the term polyamory I think it all depends on how that person wants to identify their relationship orientation. Um, but I do think that a lot of polyamory, if you hear that term in general, it, I think it does tend to imply like the, like a more part of it 
uh, implies some kind of romance. Um, but it's up to everyone who yeah. wants to take that label. It's individual. Especially um, if sex is one of your love languages. Because it doesn't just have to be something that's like negatively or like associated negatively with like an absence of love, you know? Like it definitely can be void of love and you see that a lot, but um, it doesn't have to be. Um, and you were saying you were opening up a can of worms. I, I did then just think about something else that I wanted to talk about too, which was um, the idea of um, also if you're, if you're in a relationship and then one person wants to, says they want to open it up or they want to be poly or something, it's really important to figure out like to know why that is, um, to know if you're actually comfortable with it and to say no if you're not comfortable with it because later on in the road, if it's not working out, um, it may just implode if you don't say something early enough. Um, and then on the other side, um, it, if the reason that you um, are going to open up or become poly is m maybe because someone's cheated um, or because of, you know, non-consensual or uh, non-monogamous things that like you didn't decide on, you didn't agree upon beforehand, that might not be like, that's a big red flag. That's a big thing that, um, you know, like people have a lot of misconceptions about like, oh, we're just like, I, I like I cheated, but like, let's just open it up. Um, and that's what polyamory is. I feel like that's another kind of misconception about poly, but that's not really what should be happening. It's usually not going to be healthy. Yeah, there's a lot to discuss there. Um, and I think that, I mean, I don't think that we have any poly specific programming um but i know that conversations topics like this have come up you know there are people who are poly that i've met through young adult social group yes. like I met poly people and had conversations with them through there that's definitely a space that overlaps i think with some of the poly community and st pete uh so there's definitely space for this conversation to continue yeah okay well, we hope y'all enjoyed i certainly enjoyed it so i guess we'll go ahead and wrap up today um, so I wanted to thank you for joining us. This was a great conversation. We all need some some good combos like this uh, during this lovely time right now. Um, I just want to thank you for joining us. So come and hang out with us next Friday where um, the topic that we will be discussing is HIV during COVID. Um, and we're going to be um, having a conversation around the, the Black and African-American community. Um, we've got some special guests, Quinita Oates, Darius Lightsey, and Chandra Allison. Um, until next time, uh, to inclusivity and beyond. Thank you, and have a good night. You've been listening to Inclusivity and Beyond with Metro Inclusive Health subjects that impact the health and wellness of our community. Want to hear us cover a subject in the future? Email us at lgbtq at metrotampabay.org. For sponsorship information, contact James K at metrotampabay.org.